This is the Roast and Reason podcast. Join your host, Andrew Boyer, as we explore the world of specialty coffee. So grab a cup of your favorite coffee and let's dive in. Welcome to Roast and Reason. Hello, my coffee-loving friends. On this episode of the Roast and Reason podcast, we are going to focus on a single coffee origin, or specifically, a single coffee-producing country. And that country is Ethiopia. This is going to be a two-part series because there is a ton to talk about related to Ethiopia. This first part, we are going to talk about the history of Ethiopia, some facts about the country and the region. We're going to talk about the origins of coffee and where it started in this region. And we're going to touch on some history about Ethiopian coffee and the traditional ceremony that Ethiopians have related to coffee. So that will make up part number one. Part number two is going to be the next episode of the podcast where we're going to talk about what types of coffee grow in Ethiopia, the different growing regions that you should be aware of, the different flavor profiles that you might expect in an Ethiopian coffee, and last but certainly not least, some recommendations that I have for you in terms of some really kick-ass Ethiopian coffee that you can try at home. So let's talk a little bit about the history of coffee in Ethiopia and some coffee facts and general facts about Ethiopia. And before we get into that, I don't know if any of you guys have some friends that are wine connoisseurs or really obsessed with wine, but many wine lovers can tell you the story of the bottle of wine, the type or the specific bottle of wine that stopped them in their tracks really opened their eyes, and started their love and obsession with wine. And some coffee lovers can tell a similar story. And for me, and many other coffee lovers that I know, that story includes an Ethiopian coffee. And there's a reason for this. Ethiopia produces some of the highest quality most delicious, and most unique coffee in the entire world. But before we get into coffee, let's start with some specifics about Ethiopia, shall we? So Ethiopia is a country in Africa. It is home to about 102 million people. So it's the second most populous country in all of Africa, only behind Nigeria, And it is the most populous landlocked country in the entire world. Ethiopia is located in the Horn of Africa, and it's bordered by Eritrea on the north, Somalia and Djibouti to the east, Kenya to the south, and Sudan and South Sudan to the west. The location that we call modern-day Ethiopia is widely believed to be the launching point where the earliest modern humans migrated out of Africa to explore the Middle East and the rest of the world. 
It's also home to some of the oldest skeletal remains of modern humans ever found. So this is a very, very important region when it comes to the human race and our history. During the very first few centuries AD, the first unified African civilization occurred right here in this region where modern-day Ethiopia is. That early civilization would eventually be replaced by the Ethiopian Empire, or before the Ethiopian Empire, the Abyssinian Empire. And the Abyssinian Empire started in the 1200s AD. The history of this empire and this region is pretty remarkable. So in the 19th century, something called the Scramble for Africa happened. And that was when all of the European superpowers tried to take control or colonize parts of Africa. There were two countries in Africa that never lost their independence, that never became a part or a colony of a European superpower. And Ethiopia is one of those two countries. And in fact, the only time that a European power controlled Ethiopia was during the 1930s. Ethiopia fought in a war against Italy called the Second Italo-Ethiopian War. And Italy, under Mussolini, conquered and briefly ruled Ethiopia. But that brief occupation ended when the Second World War ended and Ethiopian independence was reestablished. Other than this short occupation, the Ethiopian Empire, or monarchy, basically ruled Ethiopia from the 1200s all the way to 1974. And in 1974, the military overthrew the government and installed what was called the Derg, which was a military-backed communist government that was supported and propped up by the Soviet Union at that time. The Derg collapsed in 1991, and a democratically elected political coalition took over, and that still rules the country today. So the Ethiopian people have been subject to some pretty significant turmoil, a lot of government change, and multiple conflicts over the past several decades. And all of this has led to pretty significant poverty, and at times during these conflicts, some starvation. But the Ethiopian economy has experienced pretty significant growth in the past several years. In fact, up until 2010, Ethiopia was one of the fastest growing economies in the entire world. Since then, there have been a couple hiccups, uh, including some really, really high inflation, like up to 40% inflation in a year. But the economy has recovered from those hiccups and continues to grow with increasing per capita GDP, improving life expectancy, which is about 56 years for men and 60 years for women. So it is by no means equivalent to the US or Europe at this point, but the economic conditions in Ethiopia are dramatically improving. Despite this progress and improvement, Ethiopia remains very poor. It's a very poor nation. And the average annual income is about seven to eight hundred dollars, or the equivalent of seven to eight hundred dollars. 
The majority of the Ethiopian economy is based on agriculture. It, so the agricultural sector makes up about 85% of the workforce, 40% of the GDP, and 80% of the exports. And the primary crops, you guessed it, coffee's number one. The other crops that are exported include legumes, oil seeds, potatoes, and sugarcane. Ethiopia is the largest producer of coffee in Africa and the fifth largest coffee producer in the world. And the coffee industry alone employs 15 million Ethiopians. That's right, 15 million out of 102 are employed by the coffee industry. So coffee is very, very important to the Ethiopian economy and its population. And Ethiopia is a really diverse landscape. So if you Google pictures of it, they range anywhere from these really lush forests to very rugged and hot and dry, pretty dramatic conditions. The western half of the country and the Ethiopian highlands are lush with forests and rainforests, and the eastern half of the country is dry and hot. There is a settlement in eastern Ethiopia called Dalal. It's in the northwestern portion of Ethiopia. It is the hottest human settlement in the world, where the average daily temperature is about 41 degrees Celsius, and that's 106 degrees Fahrenheit. Obviously, coffee does not grow there. Most of the coffee production occurs in the western half of the country and in the central Ethiopian highlands. So let's talk a little bit about coffee and Ethiopia. Coffee's economic importance in Ethiopia is, is pretty clear, right? It employs 15 million of the 102 million inhabitants of the country. In addition to this significant economic importance, coffee is very important to Ethiopia historically and culturally. The Arabica coffee tree has its roots in Ethiopia. I mean, literally. So the Arabica coffee plant originated and first grew in the southwestern highlands of the ancient empire of Abyssinia, which is Ethiopia. Prior to the cultivation of coffee, it grew wild in the forests around an area called Kaffa. And coffee likely gets its current name, what we call it today in English, from a few different words. One of them is the, is the Arabic word for coffee. One of them is kaffa, named after the location in modern-day Ethiopia where coffee came from. It's not exactly clear when humans first discovered this plant growing wild and discovered its stimulant effects. But there's a commonly told fable about a man named Kaldi. Legend has it that Kaldi, an Abyssinian goat herd, lived somewhere around 850 AD. One day, Kaldi was exploring the hillsides and the forests. And during the day, he would let his goats explore and go do their own thing, find their own food. And then every night, he would call them back to him. He would play them a song, a specific song on his flute, and they would come back. And his goats would always come back at night, except one night they didn't. 
And so he searched for them and finally found them. And when he found them, he was shocked because his goats were prancing about. They were bleeding or screaming loudly and they were acting very strange. And what he noticed is that they were all gathered around a bush and eating the red berries on that bush. So he thought, what the hell? I'll try the berries too. And so he tried a few berries And within a few minutes, he was overcome with this intense happiness and excitement. And he wasn't tired anymore, even though it was night. So he filled his pockets with these berries and took them back to his village. Kaldi, according to the legend, had discovered coffee. So the legend keeps going. When Kaldi arrived home, his wife encouraged him to take these berries that she described as heaven-sent berries. She recommended that he take them to the local monastery to share them with the monks. However, the monks didn't share Kaldi's enthusiasm for his new discovery. One of the monks went so far as to call the berries the devil's work, and he threw them in the fire. And at this point, Kaldi's wondering why the heck he listened to his wife at all, But the story doesn't end badly for him. So the smell of the roasting coffee beans in the fire made the monks reconsider. And they removed the coffee from the fire. At this point, all the berries had burned off, but the beans were there and roasted. They crushed the beans to put out the embers and poured water over them to put the fire out so they could preserve these beans. When they did, they smelled the aroma and drank the beverage. And there you have it, coffee was born. Now, it's pretty unlikely that Kaldi actually discovered coffee. It's unclear if a person named Kaldi ever actually existed, but this fable makes for a good story, and it's really not inconceivable that someone or a tribe came across wild coffee in a similar way and incorporated it into their hunter-gatherer-type diet. But the major historical inaccuracy here is the second part of the story. And it's evidence that this story was probably created long after coffee was already discovered. See, the issue that I have with the story is humans didn't start out brewing coffee in a fire and making it into a beverage. After discovering coffee, the local villages in Abyssinia mostly consumed it by eating the berries. So, the, And the berries were consumed for the same exact reason why we drink coffee today. It stimulant effects. It made them think more clearly. It kept them awake at night. There's also documentation of berries, so not the beans, but the berries, being ground up and mixed with butter or ghee. So they essentially made fat bombs. They made these energy-dense, energy-rich, fat bombs that had a stimulant kick. Great source of energy and food and nutrition for when you didn't know when your next meal was coming or if you had to travel a long distance to get to the next village. So if you've ever heard of something called bulletproof coffee, which is where you add coconut oil and butter to coffee, it it kind of seems like this concept originated a long, long time ago, back in the ancient Abyssinian Empire. 
probably before we even started roasting coffee. So it took many, many years before humans learned that you could roast the coffee beans and make them into a beverage. And before we talk more about the beverage coffee that we know today, I should admit that the actual origin of coffee is up for debate. Coffee first grew in either Ethiopia or Yemen. So you might hear or read conflicting stories depending on who you listen to. You might come across conflicting stories as well related to where and when coffee was first routinely brewed into a beverage. And again, these two countries, Ethiopia and Yemen, fight for the honors again. From everything I have read, I believe that coffee first grew and the berries were consumed in the Kaffa region of Ethiopia. Coffee then spread from those local villages to other regions of Ethiopia and Yemen. And it spread in the hands of Sufi monks, so a specific type of Muslim monk, traveling the region to spread Islam, as well as Sudanese traders. Some stories suggest that coffee was first brewed in Ethiopia, but I actually believe that Yemen wins this battle. The Sufi monks fell in love with coffee, and they brought it back to Yemen, and I believe that they were the first people to routinely brew the beverage that we know as coffee today. These monks started brewing coffee to help them stay awake and alert during their long nights of religious study. And coffee was first widely cultivated in Yemen, and the port city of Mocha in Yemen became the key port to where both Ethiopian and Yemeni coffee were historically exported to Europe. Remember that Ethiopia is landlocked, so its way out to the Red Sea is through Djibouti, and just across the Red Sea is Yemen. And the port city of Mocha in Yemen became this really important historical port for coffee exportation. And in fact, it's rumored that Marco Polo stopped at the port of Mocha to buy coffee during his voyages around the world. And this is where the word mocha came from. So mocha didn't always mean the coffee beverage with chocolate in it that we know today. It used to refer to coffee that was bought or obtained through the port of mocha. Eventually, Ethiopians caught on and started brewing coffee, cultivating it, raising it on their own, and they have had tremendous success in growing and brewing coffee ever since. In addition to being the birthplace of coffee and really having an unmatched degree of genetic and biodiversity in coffee plants, there's another thing that makes Ethiopian coffee and Ethiopia truly unique among coffee-producing regions. Unlike the vast majority of coffee-producing regions and countries in the world, coffee was not introduced to Ethiopia as a cash crop during the colonial times. Instead, harvesting coffee, harvesting wild coffee plants, and then cultivated and farmed coffee plants, processing coffee and drinking it as part of an everyday life has really been that way in Ethiopia for centuries. And despite the high demand for Ethiopian coffee on the global coffee market, 
and the fact that Ethiopian coffee commands a pretty high price, only about half of all of the coffee produced in Ethiopia is exported. The other half is consumed right at home by Ethiopians. That is unheard of when it comes to most other coffee-producing areas of the world. Many coffee-producing countries don't drink much coffee at all. And it's really this importance that coffee has at the economic level, but also culturally, socially, and historically, that really just adds to the uniqueness and the mystique of Ethiopian coffee. And while much of the coffee-producing world doesn't even really drink coffee, not only do Ethiopians drink coffee daily, they actually have a traditional coffee ceremony. So just like the Japanese have a traditional tea ceremony, the Ethiopians have a traditional coffee ceremony. The Ethiopian coffee ceremony is, it, is an example of hospitality and really to be invited to one, to be invited to someone's house for this ceremony is a sign of respect and friendship. And this is not a gathering in your kitchen while your electric coffee maker makes coffee or while you make a bunch of K-cups for your guests. This ceremony is involved and it's long. It typically takes about half an hour to an hour from the start of the ceremony to the first cup. So at least a half an hour from when this thing starts to when you're first drinking coffee. This thing is long and involved. And personally, I kind of love this. To me, one of the awesome things about coffee, or food in general for that matter, is, is about connection. So to me, one of the things that coffee is about is about connection. Connecting us to the people that grew it and harvested it, processed coffee, roasted our coffee and prepared it for us. Also, connecting us to each other. So if you're sharing coffee with someone, with a friend, with a coworker, it's a, it's a way of connecting us. It's a way of socializing. And this ceremony is all about connection. There is no rush. It's about socializing. It's about sitting down, watching this thing take place, and talking. And in, men, in many villages in Ethiopia, this coffee ceremony is the main social event of the village. It's when politics and gossip and life are discussed. So the ceremony is typically performed by a woman in traditional Ethiopian dress. The coffee beans are taken and washed and then roasted in a flat pan over a small charcoal stove. The beans are carefully stirred so that they're roasted evenly and the chaff or the husks are swept away. And the beans are roasted until they're about a medium to a dark roast. The aroma of roasting coffee combines with the smell of incense, which is traditionally burned during this ceremony. Once the coffee beans are roasted, they are ground by hand with a mortar and pestle. The coffee grounds are then placed in a traditional black clay brewing and serving pot, which is called a jabina. Once the brewing is complete, the coffee is served, and it's normally served to the eldest person in the room first, and then to everyone else. 
And traditionally, the coffee is served with a lot of sugar. Or in some areas of the country, particularly the countryside, it's served with salt instead of sugar. It is never served with milk, but it is normally served with a snack. And the classic snacks are popcorn, peanuts, or roasted barley. There's traditionally three rounds of coffee brewing in the Jabina, and each have a name. The first is Abel, where the coffee is the strongest and the most potent. And then there's Tona, the second, and Baraka, the third rounds. And they happen when you add new water to the same coffee grounds in this Jabina clay pot. And it was traditionally thought that moving through all three rounds of this ceremony helped transform the spirit of those participating in the ceremony itself. So pretty cool. And you don't necessarily have to travel to Ethiopia to experience one of these. There are many Ethiopian restaurants here in the United States that actually offer the ceremony. And I'm, I'm actually going to check one out. There's an Ethiopian restaurant in Portland called Ianjoni Ethiopian Cafe. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. I've never been there, but I'm going to check it out. And I'm going to make reservations for a coffee ceremony at this restaurant. I will post pictures on the Roast and Reason Instagram feed. So be sure to check those out in the upcoming weeks. I probably won't get there for a week or two, but once I do, I will post them on the Instagram feed. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. And if you're interested, Google or check out your local Ethiopian restaurants if you're lucky enough to have one close by. I know there are a few in Seattle and New York City and um, LA that offer these coffee ceremonies. There's a restaurant called Jabina in Seattle. There's one called Little Ethiopia in LA. And I think there's a few in New York City that offer these as well. All right, guys. So there's a lot to talk about when it comes to Ethiopian coffee. And I didn't want to have this be this huge, long episode. So I decided to split it in two. And I really encourage you to come back and check the next episode out. I'm going to talk about the type of coffee that grows in Ethiopia, the important growing regions that you should know and recognize by name because you're likely to see them when you're shopping for Ethiopian coffees. And I'm going to talk about the flavors that you might expect in an Ethiopian coffee. And last but certainly not least, at the end of next week's podcast, I'm going to recommend a few really excellent Ethiopian coffees that you can try at home. There's a lot of really, really great, unique Ethiopian coffee out there. But the ones I'm going to recommend next week are ones that I've personally tried and I think are absolutely amazing and you can't go wrong. So definitely check out the next episode of the podcast and I will see all of you guys then. Take care, everybody.